philosophers in space, 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 space. They waste all their choices on the way to us. They want to own the light. Living in fear of being torn limb from limb by the Minotaur may seem harsh to some people now, but you have to remember what it was like after 9 11. That's, That's right. What are you wearing mask? Were you wearing the acid or something like that? Oh no, it's just they're terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? Welcome to Listener Cues 26. I'm Thomas. That over there with a major upgrade to, <laughs> to his operating system is Aaron Bot. How you doing, Aaron Bot? Uh, I'm doing great. Yeah. Uh, base sent us up some, some fancy, nice upgrades. I've got a lot more you say space us. to spread out my red yarns. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> I, uh, I was using the, the box royal box specifically because- said Aaron. <laughs> I didn't get I've, I've integrated with the technology and we are us now is <laughs> <Yeah>. why <laughs> I got a downgrade because I still haven't set up all my other screens. So you've you've <laughs> upgraded your screens. I've downgraded my screens. It's OK. Yeah. But Thomas is living in the bottom part of the ship, like the really depressing part with no windows at this point. <laughs> yeah. With all the luggage. Just me and the robots upstairs. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm excited for you. I'm jealous of your new system. I uh, I, I love buying uh, absurdly priced new Mac systems. It's one of my favorite pastimes <laughs> that I don't I do not. Need. Uh, <laughs> it's quite the opposite of that for me, but it was long overdue when they finally dropped the new series, and now I can do my dissertation on nice, is it, fancy big screens. Is it milk-based, though? It, it is. is it a it's a milk-based um, system. The uh, hyper milk. That's from, what the um, M1 is uh, stands for. Violence. Oh, I just cracked it. It's the milk. new M1 chip. It's milk. They're on one percent. I guess. Yeah, Ridley Scott designed <laughs> it. It's um, yeah. just milk spray everywhere all M the time. Whole like a whole milk. You know, because because they <laughs> uh-huh. figure. All joking aside, that is one of the things they figured out. Like, oh yeah, we thought it would be great to get rid of the fat in milk, and then it turns out nutritionally that just leaves more sugar, like more sweet. Like, mm-hmm, so it's actually worse mm-hmm. for you. So hopefully mm-hmm. they upgrade from the un- M1 milk one percent <laughs> chip to the. I went with the half and half. I can't. Ooh. I can't afford the top line. Oh, okay. You know. Now you're just being absurd. <laughs> All right. Uh, I uh, well, let's uh, rev that milk-based uh, robot engine. Let's get to some. Uh, uh, questions, but first we need to thank the patrons responsible for uh, this this bounty. <laughs> yeah, thanks to Eli Bartlett, Crystal Ellie? of Truth. It's fine. Ellie, Ellie Bartlett. Sorry, yeah. Ellie, okay. you're right. You're right. We're off to a good start here. Um, <laughs> Liam Skoda. Looks like the new system locust. still has the same old glitches. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just poured it over the same operating system. I don't know yeah. what you expected. That's true. <laughs> um, Russell's Peapot. That's good. Uh, <laughs> just call me Zachary. Scott the Woodworker. I'm a vegan heathen, Craig Stevenson, Got Master Gray, David Howell, Phil O. Sofer, Brian Studwell, <laughs> Jesse Urbinowitz, and Brenda Goodman, Kroll the Swolbold, Matthew Laird, Mads Ripe, David M. Whitaker. The Foundation books are better than the Dune books. Come at me. Mm. Dahak. I want psychoethics so I can prove I'm right. Chad T, <laughs> Daniel Tepsa, Chris and Lauren, Chris Michael, 
uh, Carlos um, Goulot, Dave Knoll, and Sarah Ostermeyer. All right. Uh, okay. They bring us the following question. From the testimony of Mushroom, the dolls and dollhouse have specialized brain architecture designed to quickly absorb all the information required to become a person. Sure. Babies are poop machines, but also are specialists in absorbing information they will need to be a person. Yeah. One difference is the dolls have carefully curated curriculum designed to make them into a specific person, whereas babies get more general education. Or do they? How responsible are we for the next generations as we provide example and instruction? Are we controlling who they become? Should we control them more or should we let nature take its course? I mean, you're the expert on this side oh, of things. Yeah. How's that going for you? Trying so, the, to yeah, the, I, I like the or do they there. That, was a, that wasn't me <laughs> adding color. That was in there. No, that was a quality. Um, um, or so uh, they uh, thought. You know, X like Files throwback reference there. That was our X Files episode, right? <laughs> or oh, yeah, is with, it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the the twist in the question was like, oh, we're not doing a dollhouse on our kids. We're way better. And then you're like, or are we? Because we are doing a dollhouse on our kids. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean the the science I believe um, seems to be that like. Parents make very little difference, unfortunately. But th- there's also argument about that. Like I've heard, or fortunately, depending. Or on fortunately, parents. yep. I mean, it, it could be either way. Um, it seems like genetics are a major thing, but it's also I think I think my understanding is it's really impossible to separate because, like, sure, it might be genetic, but also the genetics might contribute to like how the parents are going to be. I don't know. I guess if you run twin studies where one twin is somewhere else and one whatever, and you run all those numbers, I think parents don't make that much of a difference i guess so i wouldn't worry about yeah. it yeah i mean and i guess we what we can what we could ask at least right can you turn that effect up by having more rigorous sort of training or something like that i think the answer probably depends on the individual to some extent right i think it's the case that there are some individuals who are, you know could be more heavily shaped or something like that whereas other individuals are going to tend to sort of resist that kind of more forceful habituation i think or something like that Um, i gotta say lately i've begun to question a few of my assumptions you know i mean i historically i've explored on (laughs) or have you yeah on comedy shoeshine uh you know my our our, uh my brother and i we talk about our dad he's uh he had some major mental health issues and um and i've i've assumed and I think largely correctly that a lot of my issues come from that but I gotta say lately seeing how Phoebe is from day one with a totally Mm -hmm. different and warm and you know whatever understanding environment and how from the Mm -hmm. from a tiny like before we've even had meaningful interactions she already was just painfully anxious about everything and mm, you know and mm-hmm. so it starts to make me wonder like i don't know maybe some of these things are just like genes you know and you don't like i i i would have thought that we'd be able to not that we could make her not anxious but i i it's interesting to see that kick in so early and i mm-hmm. guess you know i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not an expert i'm not a scientist i guess i would have assumed that those things develop a little later or something but she is just oh boy she's really anxious and i feel bad i want to do everything i can for her but uh right it, it it's it's really interesting and seeing arlo just be not that instantly like they've 
It's so funny because, again, when they're they're babies, they're like, you know, not newborns per se, but like pretty much, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so funny how different the reports from the, you know, the teachers at daycare would be every day. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just it's so early on. Phoebe was the most serious baby. Like, they still loved her, but she was just very intense and very serious all the time. And then Arlo was just the opposite. And they they would we'd we'd pick up Arlo every single day. They'd be like, oh, he was so great. And that just means he just sat there and read a book all day and didn't bother anybody like he didn't. You know, because that's what teachers need. Overworked, underpaid daycare teachers need a kid that just does nothing, which is fine. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. I'm starting to question a little bit about that. And it kind of worries me. Like maybe maybe we don't have that much control over it. Maybe no matter how much I try to provide a different environment than I had like what does that what can that do I don't know it's got to do something I I think you're you're maybe overselling what you can infer here on this one because I, I think like well so first of all I think we can say there are probably things that we would associate with the internal of the individual that like so what, what I think you're saying there is you feel like they have um you know, some internal nature that isn't just the result of their experiences in their environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if we were, you know, acknowledge that it like isn't to some, it is to some extent influenced by it. I think you can still say different people have different personalities, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. Um, and that doesn't necessarily have to equate to genetics, right. To say that it's something other than, um, you know, pure environment or something like that. I think it can be, I think we get, we slip a little bit too much what into it. it. Magic? Like souls. I don't know. What's, no, what's... no. I mean, I just, what I mean is I, I don't think it's useful for us to immediately reduce. It's just like, it would be weird for us to say, Oh, well that's just their atoms bouncing around. You know what I'm saying? Like that yeah. focusing in on that one level of the system, the genetic level of the internal system, I'm not sure that's the right way to go, just like I'm not sure it's right. I'm not like saying there's an alternative or like something that is emergent above and beyond the genetics exactly. I guess what I mean is I think when we talk about it in these ways, it really does make it too easy to slip back into that genetics versus environment kind of discussion. And that is what we're uneasy about when what we really want to say is, look, this person has some internal persistent personality kinds of quirks or traits or whatever that don't seem to be directly caused by their environment and just leave it at that and like not try to make assumptions about, oh, well, it's because they have this gene or that gene or something like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I guess I don't really care what gene it is. It's just, yeah. Well, I'm not saying what gene, I'm, not, I'm just saying, I think the casual way that we can, we can sort of run together any talk of someone's stable character or something like that as just being the result of their genetics is is I think not ideal, and I like I don't I don't have necessarily a better language with which to discuss these things, but I just think it's worth sort of mentioning. So you're just worried about like condemning someone to a genetic fate or something. Is that what you're talking about? Like that's what you're. Well, I guess what I'm just saying is that like I think it's okay for lefties like ourselves to be sort of resistant to reducing everything to genetics while still acknowledging that there do appear to be sort of stable, persistent, internal Look, I, I, Yeah, you know? sure. All that, whatever. I think I'm just thinking of it in, I, in different uh, okay. terms. I, I don't, you know, like it's, yeah, I'm not, I was, can, yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to get on to a second point there as well. Oh, okay, I just wanted to clear that up. I think just because I think some people get anxious about discussions around the word genes. And so I was just trying to get people away from that. But I also think like, you can't, you can't know that just because Arlo is happy, go lucky. And, uh, Oh shoot. Now I'm going to blank. 
the other one is anxious, right? That um, it wouldn't be worse or different if you were a different kind of environment. Like if they were being raised in an abusive household, maybe mm-hmm. Arlo wouldn't be happy like that. Maybe oh, he'd yeah, be anxious course, too. Yeah, maybe she'd be more anxious or something like totally. that. So like, I, you know, I think we have to recognize that the environment can still have an impact. It just may have different impacts on different kinds of people to some extent. Yeah, no, totally. I, I agree with all that. I think it's, it's all, it's, I guess the thing that is maybe slightly changed from this experience is I think it'll be interesting when, when uh, Phoebe is the name of my firstborn child, when she um, <laughs> decide when she, you know, looks back maybe or something. And, and I, who knows? Cause it'll probably be a different situation where I hope, you know, I'll actually talk to my kids and have a relationship with them. So it'll be a little different mm-hmm. than the uh, situation I was in, but I could imagine her telling a story to herself or coming up with a, with an origin story. If, if, you know, if indeed she does have some of these mental health challenges that I, I am anticipating, but could be totally wrong about. Um, I could imagine her. It's just interesting to see. I could imagine her telling a story or coming up with a story of why. And I, and I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, like less certain if that would be accurate or if indeed any of our stories might be accurate about that, about ourselves, you know, like sure. it's just hard to know. Yeah. It's, it's introspection is fallible for sure. And we rewrite yeah. our histories all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, like maybe some of that is inherited from her parents, right. Or maybe some of it is um, parts of the environment that yeah. you don't think of as being anxiety inducing, but for some reason oh, she perceives them that way. By the way. And also just side side tangentially related. If anybody um, out there likes to, try to say that like the allergies that anybody has is because parents didn't do one thing or another. They can go ahead and and get effed, you know, like just F right off seeing my son for no reason have like these allergies, you know, because the conservative, they all you didn't let them play enough in a son or, you know, you didn't eat the thing. It's like, all right, no, that's not it. I raised my kids local, exactly local the same. Local honey, right? That's yeah, exactly. Local honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. so, you know, I guess the message is, you know, as if, as, if you're observing honey, other parents, observing other kids, maybe we all ought to be a little bit less judgmental because stuff, some stuff just happens, you know, a lot of stuff just happens, I think. Anyway. But try the honey thing, just in case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give him some local peanuts and have his face explode and he can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> Microdose him on peanuts. All right. Let's thank Gary French, adopt a homeless pet and oppose declawing and ear docking. Katie Armstrong, Mark Smith, Alexander Thomas, Geyer Sergith, uh, Helen Clark, Felipe Andres, <laughs> Towers Abogado, um, David Gold, Christopher Pierce- Peterson, Day One DLC, Dustin Lee Klaus, Ian Ryan, Mark McNeil, Garrett Fidalgo, Ryan Merwin, Here Comes the Story of the Hurricane, Kim Bajkowski, Slarder Bartfast, Slarder Bartfast, I don't know. The International Cheese Eater, The Lawless One, Mike Hall, Chris G, Humanist Turtle, Nicholas Altman, Timothy Redacted, Jake Beckerman, Sam Johnson, and Christopher Lee. From beyond the grave, that Christopher Lee. What a legend. Glad he's still (laughs) Still supporting the show. And they bring you this question from Sebastian the Great. How do we enjoy moral relativism in things like Warhammer 40K? (laughs) What? And for kicks, (laughs) who do you think is the most morally correct in that universe? Oh, this is all you. I know nothing about this. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, sort of related things to this, right? Warhammer 40k is sort of the the death lock of um, 
space opera y worlds. It's based on sort of based on the original Warhammer fantasy series and is set in like a dystopian future where humans are like ruled over by a god emperor who, you know, and is religious, all sorts of crazy religious stuff running around. And like the methods of transport involve like absurd chanting and rituals to go mm. through these hell dimensions to get to the the places you're trying to go. And it's all just like a giant nightmare universe, essentially. Isn't this that um, game so- of the models and stuff? Yes, exactly. Okay. It's the game with the models for sure. And then there's spin-off games. Uh there's a uh a new there's one that was recent that I actually am excited to play on my new system now that I can run it properly. Um, which is uh you get to play the I think they're called the Mechanarium or something like that. It's the the people who've combined themselves with a bunch of tech mm-hmm. and like are destroying like other yeah. things that are yeah, um, Mechanicus, that's them. Yeah, it's like me. I am I am become one with the Mechanicus. Um, and it's just like, it's very well written in terms of, you know, like hilarious, over-the-top, uh, hell-dimension-y, nightmare kind of stuff. Um, so there really aren't like any good guys, so to speak. Mm. There is certainly the, the closest thing I think is probably there's like a Zerg race for, for your StarCraft uh, crossover fans. You know, a essentially like an, a bug race that's sort of spreading across the galaxy. Um, they're at least probably the races, best. I tell you. In the sense, at least, that they are morally neutral, right? Relative to all of the other people who are just outright evil. Um, it's They're probably the best ones, I think, is probably the best the bug case race? you could make there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because at least they're not overtly trying to be evil. <laughs> so it's more about intentions, huh? I mean, you know, I, I, and also probably consequence. I don't think they're going to actually succeed. <laughs> um, but yes. Uh, but I, I also do think it's a funny question. Do we play games where it's everybody's a baddie so that we can sort of indulge our moral relativist amoral selves or something like that and like a little bit of pathos release um without feeling like guilty because you know i don't know about you but like whenever i play like straightforward games with ethics systems i i find it hard to be evil um Mm. and i think there might be something to the idea that games like 40k is like well look you know everybody's a baddie so just go as arch as you can with it Mm. You know, related question, because again, I sorry, I don't know anything about any of those worlds, but uh, I was, you know, I know you watched Succession, right? Uh, it's, mm, at least I yes, it's a perfect on. example, right? Where 40K yeah. is the uh, succession of space. Exactly. So I was recommending Succession because it's the best show. And mm-hmm. uh, somebody mm-hmm. was like, oh, isn't that one of those ones where everybody's bad and there's nobody to root for, you know, like it's just a bunch of bad people. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's kind of true, you know, but like, so then that mm-hmm. I think it's kind of related where it's like. Do yeah, you sure. does every show or do, or game or whatever? Do you need like a you know a hero? Do you need somebody to root for? And um, I think that can kind of be true. Like if everybody's so awful mm. that you're just like ah, I can't. It's too much. Then I think if I think if it was a more serious thing, then maybe it would bother me slightly. But like because it's a comedy mm. and it's just I mean it's a dark comedy, but um, it's just so funny and so well done. I don't really care because each each his characters will in turn kind of have good or bad motivations and you can kind of you know it's right you don't have to be like oh this person is always the good person who you know who i understand and who does makes the right choices it's like that kind of happens here and there even though they're mostly just making selfish choices at all times (laughs) 
Yeah, and I mean, I actually think that this is common to what I'll what I'll call like feudal sci-fi, right? That there's which of which forty k I think is an example that like when when people do this kind of the same thing you see with like Dune or to put it in the fantasy setting, right? Game of Thrones, you have these air these worlds where it's like, well everybody's kind of a baddie, right? They're all kind of gray, ethically gray at best. Um, and that, you know, I think it both conveys a feeling of a certain period. And maybe we could say it still exists now today, but like, I think it's often sort of portrayed as being a period separate from our own where things are like just worse in every way and everybody acts worse in every way. And that is an interesting place to explore, I guess, for mm. people. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. So thanks to naming some names, chance some ways through the demon dimension. Here we go. <laughs> they said I could be anything. So I became two princes who adore you. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Hoss, Hossdorf, Eric Moreno, Victor Clean, Tomas Myth is Bed Tarid, <laughs> R then Aaron is. That's good. Uh, Aaron Griffin, Matt Morrison. This Supreme Court will be remembered for, oh God, uh, Tortisorore, yeah, okay, uh, Sam Donau, wordorigins.org, your source for word and phrase origins, all right, Petrosaurus Hex, uh, Diziugas Mattis, Rick Davies, Vincent, if I, Jane Dickweed, get it, then so should you, Randy Jordan, Whitney Trapel, John, Martin Seaman, Zeman, excuse me, uh, I spy, uh, hornier than thou, <laughs> Gerard, Gerardo Garcia, I believe, it's got some weird symbols, um, Wooter Vermeyen, Justin Brisley, give to modestneeds.org, then visit deepfakestop.com, Big Easy Blasphemy, Lindsay Osterman, and Snowstar. All right, time for a question from General Contact Union Problem Child. In the three-body problem, humanity is preparing for an alien invasion that won't happen for a few hundred years. If we discovered some apocalyptic disaster, alien invasion, giant asteroid impact, etc., that was going to befall the Earth, but it wasn't going to happen for centuries, do you think there'd actually be political will to do anything about it? Climate change is probably going to seriously be disrupting our civilization in just 10 to 20 years and we're barely doing anything about it. Imagine we found out a 40-kilometer asteroid was going to hit the Earth in 2266. I think it would be so easy for right-wingers to be like, why should we waste money preparing for a disaster none of us are, none of us are going to be alive for? Mm. What do you think? I guess I, I don't know. I mean, I think, it, I think there's an easy sort of reflexive no, obviously not response, which is that like humans just are not well built for long-term, like dealing with long-term problems in that kind of way. Mm. I do wonder if, I think it depends to some extent on the crisis, on the type totally. of crisis. I, I agree. Right? Like if it's an asteroid and you can show the asteroid on camera and you can say, if we put X amount of money to building this asteroid destroyer, there is a 99% chance that it'll stop the asteroid in 200 years. I think that's a little bit more doable. Um, now, I don't know. I think what what makes climate change such a problem? I think part of it is a history of misinformation that has been driven by like there's no like pro asteroid 
oil mm. companies i feel like that are going to like be <laughs> spreading asteroid misinformation yeah. you know what i'm saying like um, there, there isn't like nuts, a huge political yeah, they won't be, they won't be like the money interest yeah I'm not saying that asteroid truthers are not going to exist. I'm just saying right. that, like, there isn't as much of a vested incentive in continuing to not produce anti-asteroid technology. Whereas if we, like, could convince everybody this was a real problem, a bunch of people are going to be for investing a bunch of money into it because they'll be the ones getting paid to build the anti-asteroid technology. So I, I think it would be different in that situation. Now, the what does that mean for the aliens, though, I think is, even, is a more complicated situation, right? Mm. Because... I think if we find out there's aliens, a lot of things could go all weird and sideways, right? Like, that could really mess with a lot of human beings' understanding of the world themselves. You know, all these things could really get thrown into the air, which I think makes it much harder to predict than something like the asteroid. Like, even if we assume an equal likelihood of destruction, people's behavior could be really, really different with those two types of scenarios. So we're assuming we get some, like, I guess, like in three-body, we get some publicly accessible information somehow that there's gonna be mm-hmm. an alien invasion mm-hmm. in x number of years yeah that's that's real interesting i feel like there would be an immediate effect of people coming together you know in the same way that mm-hmm. like then you know 9-11 america like for a few weeks was really together because you have a different <laughs> enemy to be mad about several hours <laughs> yeah it was it was a solid yeah a week or two um, but then I do think if it was one of those really long horizon things, it, I think it would be interesting. I, I totally agree with you. I think, I actually think, um, as much as I have zero faith in humanity, I think with an asteroid, we'd be fine because if, mm-hmm. if it was like a 200 year thing, assuming there is a technological solution, we just have to do it kind of thing. I think would be fine mm-hmm. because that's a, as you say, tangible mathematical almost problem. And all it requires is somebody doing something about it one time between now and then or whatever right. nobody whatever. has to change their lifestyles to fight yeah the and it's not and the key is so the climate change is so hard because it's a complex problem that requires all of the earth to work together and when mm-hmm. when it's like unclear results unclear you know when who's going to benefit blah 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 like it's just it's really difficult to get everybody to do something like that Whereas I think with a my first thought with this uh, asteroid thing was like, oh, well, there will be some Democratic administration between now and then that would do it. You know, like there, all you have to do with the asteroid is just get well, like one term if Biden or whoever, like somebody in the future, some Democrat in the future, just one good term of like, hey, and along with this stupid tax cut bill or whatever the hell we're doing, tax something, something bill, infrastructure week, along with that, right. we're also passing like $400 billion to go solve the 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 asteroid but like nobody will even care yeah (laughs) just but as long as we do it once like as long as we somebody knocks it out you know i think i think they could do it because the thing about the asteroid you just got to fly up there and gravity you know we send something out to kind of if it's 200 years away like i feel like very small deflections in the gravity between now and then would uh would solve that but i don't know yeah, and you could make it more complicated, right? You could say, well, maybe we have to actually do something really, really, really expensive to, to like, mm. deal. like it's such a big asteroid that we're going to have to, like, think of, the like, the bombs, right, where they yeah. have to, like, figure out suspensor technology to be able to move asteroids or something. Like, yeah. maybe that's the situation, and, they're, they're like, everybody would have to cut back on their oh, expenditures sure, yeah. and donate all their resources to this or something like that. Then I think, right, you're getting closer to climate change, and it gets harder um, and then maybe we wouldn't solve it, like if it was yeah. that sort of thing. But we would certainly, I think, probably you'd see some nations at least throwing some amount of money at coming up with some sort of solution. 
Yeah, I wonder about the alien thing. I wonder how that would go. I mean, do, if assuming the information is like they're just here to conquer, you know, like if somehow we knew that, I could imagine tensions between, like, you know, in the same yeah. foreign policy debates, like, oh, maybe we should try to talk to him. And then right wingers being like, no, just send the nuke out now to meet him, you know, kind of thing. I fully believe Alex Jones would say that it was that it was all a lie that they were coming to conquer us, that they were actually coming to liberate us, and you shouldn't mm. trust the government telling you that we have to fight back against them. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. My turn to thank some people. Thank Russ, mm-hmm. Epic Titties the Stoic, <laughs> mm. uh, Aaron, Hypatia, Christopher Arguin, Brian, Zambuck, Colette, Nicholas Maffield, uh, Cody, David, the Patreon Saint of Podcasts, Ted Cruz's Simpsons Impressions. <laughs> oh, God. One is first, but two is a close second. Judge Janae, America's babyest legal expert. Patrick, Jason Cart, Shep Boston, uh, Scott Milliken, Alonymous, Carl Otterson, JF, a Dragon Tulpa Power Bottom is <laughs> a really solid foundation. Mm-hmm. Harris Abrams 2024, Steeljaw Panda, Torn... T- Tarn Somerville Fletcher, Pandemics Suck, Dude, and Don't Let the Shitheads Get You Down. They bring you the following question from The Impossibility of Traversing a Countable Infinity. What was thought like before there was language? Is it possible to have a philosophical thought if you can't verbalize it? Wow. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, of course, like we can't know. I guess what thought would be like, especially like, and I, I read them here as asking like, what was thought like for species before they evolved language or developed language or yeah. something like, as opposed to I think, you know, can infants who have yet not yet developed language. So I guess you could ask both versions of that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I certainly I think we can assume that language changes consciousness. So thought would be different at least prior to language what that difference would look like in terms of you know less of an inner monologue perhaps more pictorial representations of qualia or something i'm not i'm not quite sure i would be sympathetic to that i do think it's probably the case that language is needed for certain levels of abstract thought though i'm not 100 percent on that 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 is somewhat of (laughs) that's somewhat of an empirical question right um but i think I think given the limits of human cognitive capabilities and the need for conceptual schemas to understand complex things, given our limited capacities, I think if you didn't have the linguistic foundations for those conceptual schemas, it would it would be very, very hard to be doing some of that kind of abstract work. Maybe you can do a non-linguistic equivalent of it. I don't know. Um, that's that's where I'm at on it, I guess. I would have said the same thing and maybe a little stronger, if not for the fact that like these people with no internal monologues contact us and are like, what are <laughs> you talking still about? Have language. <laughs> yeah, they do. That's the that's the hard thing though, because like somehow they have these thoughts that are like language free though, when you talk to them about mm. it. And I it's it's impo- it's sort of like imagining you know, another dimension or a color that you, that doesn't exist for humans or whatever. It's like, you can't really imagine it. I feel like, um, I don't don't know about this because I feel like they clearly understand words and concepts and things like that. So like, well, what do you think? Yes, they don't, they don't have an inner monologue. What was Helen Keller's brain like for a while before 
Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question, and I think she has actually talked about it some that she yeah. i think she actually was, was quoted one time as saying that she felt like she had a presence there with her even before she had experienced sort of language or anything like that yeah i think um, the brain probably takes its inputs if i had to guess you know and and utilizes whatever those are in a way but but the question i guess would be is that something that and this is genuinely just a scientific question that i have no idea about is that something where like the architecture of our brain has to be there through this long history of development with language, which I think some linguists might think, I think I've heard, you know, like Noam Chomsky mm-hmm. say that like language kind of like there's certain things, cause there's certain grammar concepts that are, I think inherent in our brains for the most part. Um, there's like certain very low level structures that our brains have from my understanding. Mm-hmm. And so who knows, like, is it the case that, somebody like Helen Keller, whatever, take your example of somebody who doesn't just like doesn't have any language. And we know for sure that they don't have any language until, until eventually they, I guess, can somehow learn it, which makes no sense to me. I don't know how that's possible, but anyway, um, (laughs) do they still benefit from the years of evolution of having those structures, you know, already Mm -hmm. in place? Would that same person in some prehistory of ours, not be able to do as much. I, I just don't know. Like I have no clue. Right. I, I really, it seems right. really complicated to try to figure that out. Cause I grew like, it has to be true that language um, helps our thinking. Like it just, it, mm-hmm. it's just so much more efficient, you know, but, but I it suppose impacts memory, it impacts yeah. lots of things like, yeah, it just, has to. So, yeah. So I mean, I think it's, it's reasonable to, to say we don't, we don't know because like there are a lot of these complex nature nurture kinds of questions um, here as well. We don't know, like we don't even fully really understand how language acquisition works in a lot of ways. Um, I, you know, and also that this is, this is sort of fundamentally a version of the, like what it's like to be a bat kind of question, Mm -hmm. right? I would never deny there's something it's like to be a non-lingual entity, right? I absolutely believe they have phenomenal experience, but what that phenomenal experience is like, I, I struggle to say that I should even be making comments about it, to be honest. Yeah. No idea. No idea. I mean, does your dog, I mean, Mm. I guess your dog doesn't, we don't know that they have philosophical thoughts. I don't know. I believe I'm pretty confident that my dog has philosophical. I'm pretty confident to his eyes. I'm pretty confident that my one of my cats is either the smartest cat in the world or the dumbest cat in the world. It could be either. But she's often just staring forlornly like she'll stare into mirrors. She'll Mm -hmm. it's hilarious. I've taken a few pictures of it where she just for forever, just for hours, just stands there and stares (laughs) in the mirrors. And she's either like I said, she's either the dumbest cat in the world. She could be a genius. Maybe she's like a genius cat that's like, I meow, therefore I meow or something. You know, like mm-hmm. I. <laughs> yeah. Um, Volt is taken to just going and standing, like sitting out on the patio in our backyard and just like sniffing the air, just like staring, sitting there and sniffing. Yeah. So I, I assume he's meditating. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. You're you know, trying to get names. rid of all those attachments. Yeah. All right. Shall I thank some more people? Do it. All right. Thanks to Terry Schmidt, Josh, Abby, and Lorelai, Rick, Ricky Burnett, um, Seven Lira, bickering about morals is my kink. Wink, wink. Alexander <laughs> Schmaltz, um, Stephanie Nelson, Alexandra Tursky, math makes sense. Sure, it does. Cone Man the Bongbarian, Richard, Christopher Hammock, 
Ryan, Nick Ward. Thought of a clever name in the car last night. Now I've forgotten it. <laughs> Abajit Borker. Um, Elias Armando Garcia Guevara. Farron Salas. Corey Thompson. I am Lur. Ben Flynn. I'm oh, sorry, Bevan Flynn. Excuse me. <laughs> Just get me for that one. Um, Torsten Peel and a goat asks, who's... Th- thou liked wouldst thou like to live deliciously there it is i had to get my shakespeare out for a second there um alex border uh, uh borders now i'm totally off tickle fight Carza, uh, car just some random patreon um cassie halliday and dennis zakowski okay i apologize some of those people <laughs> <laughs> Bro, our actual patrons. Uh, you're going to have to remind me. Is it a Siege? Siege? Siege. Yes. Siege. Siege. Yeah. Official Siege Planning Committee, North Carolina Division asks medical ethics question. Oh, okay. We're a couple doctors. We'll help you out with that. There's currently a tremendous shortage of organs available for transplant in the U.S. Oh. Additionally, organs from living donors function better with better outcomes compared to organs from deceased donors. It is currently illegal to offer money or other compensation to anyone donating an organ. The most common justification is that the economically disadvantaged uh, people should not be coerced by their financial circumstances to put their bodies at risk. However, as a society, we accept this in other contexts. For example, pizza delivery is one of the most dangerous jobs in the country. Oh, wow. And just as an aside, it doesn't have to be that the rich are empowered to bid on the body parts of the poor. A fixed price could be set by statute and paid out by insurance companies or a government fund, for example. All right. What say you, Aaron? Should we be able to sell our organs? Well, first of all, I'm not sure about that pizza delivery uh, data point. I'm, I'm curious if that's like a shark thing where it's just like your proximity to pizza delivery people. You know, you, you, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's definitely got to be dangerous because you're in no a real car. Punchline. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I know it's probably actually accurate. Um, yeah, so I think this is interesting, right? Now, the problem is you're still you still have a perverse incentive problem, even if it's a fixed price run by an insurance company or a government fund. There's still this amount of money, and in, in theory, it's probably going to be a not insignificant amount of money, right? Yeah, if you're trying you know. to like genuinely incentivize people to give up uh, an organ um we're probably talking not in uh, not a small amount um and just having that option for people who are in really bad financial situations which is a lot of people in our society is worrisome right mm-hmm. and i just I don't, I don't know that um making it sort of not um, squid game style where the rich are bidding on your organs or something like that. I don't think it improves the situation too much, unfortunately. Now, I think we we do – this would be fine probably in a system where you had less sort of widespread wealth inequality. Um, so I think if we could manage to at least close that gap some, you know, if you could, if you could raise the baseline for all people up to a certain level – um, you could still probably have a fair bit of inequality while making this more ethically acceptable, I think. I think my main concern is people who are like, you know, I really can't pay basic bills. I'm going to go give up a kidney or something like mm-hmm. that. What and do you then think? we have the repo men that obviously are going to come steal the <laughs> organ. Right, right. Yeah. And you have the whole repo I creep. Think bare bones economics, like, I think, with that, forget all morality, <laughs> I think 
it's like better to technically have this available, but like that's bare bones economics because it just mm-hmm. like, it just creates a black market, you know, in place of a market that could be like actually regulated like so many things. But, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm with you that this one's a little bit too awful to imagine the downsides of to like really want it. But it's, but it's, it is funny that it's like, all right, no, um, person in perpetual poverty, you know, like, no, you can't sell your kidney, go sell your body mm-hmm. in all the other ways that this question makes clear, you know, where it's like, it, it, right. it jo- awful go work at amazon and pee in a cup because they don't let you pee you know like like a like a dignified human i get you know like it's at a certain yeah. point of the awfulness of our country you're like well why not screw it we've already <laughs> gotten so bad yeah okay fine sell your organs it seems like a better way to make a buck than some of the ways available but uh, i'm with you that uh, i think the the more important thing to do is fix society so that <laughs> this you know people aren't so terrible like so bad mm-hmm. off that they, you know, would need to yeah. ever do this. Yeah, I mean, I talked about this on um, Embrace the Void with Alex Arnett talking about his kidney experience. And, you know, there I was sort of thinking, you know, a, a lot of what probably holds people back on things like this is a lack of felt security. Like if you mm. have a good healthcare system that you know is going to take care of you, if you have comp- you know, long-term complications or something like that, and you have a decent social safety net that like you're going to be financially cared for um, if, you know, you end up having to work less or something because of um, this choice, then it like that seems to be the kind of things, right? If you just give people money so that they are better off, I think they would then be more likely to be comfortable doing something like mm. this. And that's the big hurdle to get over Maybe. rather than try to incentivize them on the back end. I think the other side of this, if I'm trying to make an argument for, you know, pro selling organs, is that with something like a kidney, it is apparently something that we don't need. I'll never, this is the reason I haven't donated my kidneys. I, I can't believe that I turn into anti-science when somebody says you don't need both your kidneys. Like what, <laughs> why do I have two of them? I don't understand. Or more likely, is there a time when I, yeah, sure. I don't need it now, but like later, is there going to something, something happens to backup, one of the kidneys right? and I would, I'm going to be back on the kidney market. Like, okay, I gave one away like an idiot. Now I need another one or something. I don't know. I just, I it's it's too big of a thing for me to trust that I'll never need it again. But like, let's say that I'm wrong and you actually don't need both your kidneys. There, The only argument I could come up with is it is something where you actually, you need to give people some reason. Like it would be very beneficial to the system to give people mm-hmm. a reason to actually do it. Because as it stands now, it's like, unless you know somebody who needs a kidney where like, if some, if a close family member, or friend needed my kidney specifically, I think I would be like, yep, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously that would kind of suck to have to undergo a procedure for that, but like, I'd be like, I'm going to save someone's life that I know, blah, blah, blah. But like, I think as humans, it's really hard for us to be like, yeah, someone you don't know out there, I guess we'll get your kidney, but you have to go mm-hmm. through this procedure and like giving people some actual incentive to do something that they probably would do if you give them just a bit of a nudge, you know, like I think that I could see an argument for like, yeah, that would actually work. And it would like, if, if, if we could run that experiment, what would happen is a bunch more people would have their lives saved and other people Mm -hmm. would part with a kidney that they apparently didn't need anyway. I'm, I'm very interested to find out that your utilitarianism sort of breaks down right around the lower back. That's I mean, I understand it, right? I don't want anyone poking around my lower back either. I get it. Yeah, I just made a utilitarian argument for for 
I know, but at the same time, you were like, well, look, I'm not going to give up a kidney just to maximize utility. Now, if one of my close friends needs a kidney. (laughs) It's more about the unknowns. It's it's overcoming the unknowns for me. Yeah. Like if I somehow had perfect information that, yes, I never need my other kidney, I would absolutely do it. Like, seriously, if I had some way to know for sure. But it's the unknowns of like, I feel like I'm going to need this bad boy. So it's like if if there's an immediate need and somebody... (laughs) you know, around me who I knew that would be enough to be like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm just going to do it anyway. Like I'll overcome mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. those things. Uh-huh. I understand. I'm just giving you a little bit of a hard time because it maximizes utility. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, what about my actual, uh, argument there though, is a thing you didn't really talk about. So, so what was the argument? I'm sorry. I, I, I nah, got off on jokes. I apologize. Help, help That's me fine. out. Uh, <laughs> all right. I didn't mean to belittle on. your joke. I just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, your argument, excuse me. Uh, we're real. That's fine. I put it out. I put it out for everybody. We got. We have just enough time for our last question anyway. So, thank you to Andreas, uh, Mr. Sad Elf, Michael, Eric, Drew, Matt Key, uh, Sam Buck, Travis Saul, Gretchen Cock, Big Texas, former Internet Spaceship Recruiter, Lucas Majewski. Uh, I don't know. You should, I should have yeah. given that Ma- one Maj- Majewski, I think. Right? Uh, Maybe. Sure. You're going to give me notes? Okay. Yeah. Just to <laughs> psych you out. Back to DDT. <laughs> <laughs> David Kentucky, Clarence Bartonhagen, Jonathan Moyer, Sean Sullivan. My name is a joke from another podcast like three weeks ago. <laughs> Paul Freeland, Jay, Tim Marsh, Lady Kiva Lagos is my spirit guide, Sargon Smug Effing Face, Daniel Fox, Operation BrownyePockets.com is a free game you play in real life. Hey Arizona, support Aaron Lieberman for governor, Christian Jeffrey, Frederick Dumont, Ira Green, and Austin Taylor. Hang on a second. I think you missed number 320 there, Stephen Baltic. Oh, I did. Stephen Baltic Sandoval. Sandoval. Sorry about that. I just want to make sure everybody got thanked. I was too busy laughing at Aaron. The idea of Aaron giving me a note on a name pronunciation is just so inherently. We keep keep it light around here, you know? Yeah. Uh, Apologies, Stephen. I definitely want to give you your (laughs) shout out. And they bring you this question from Clever Patreon Names Are a Waste of Perfectly Good Cleverness. How dare you? What do you think about info hazards slash cognito hazards like Roko's Basilisk or you have lost the game? <laughs> Those may be bad examples, but I suppose we wouldn't want to use good examples if we had any. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are there any, are there actually ideas or pieces of information that harm people to learn? Or is this basically all the same as you can teach their kids about racism without teaching them to be racist? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And first of all, shout out to everybody out there who just lost the game. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> It's okay. It really doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I like this idea. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, one of my favorite bits of weird sci-fi out there is the SCP Foundation. I don't know if you're familiar with that. We actually probably no. should just do an episode on it at some point. Well, we it's did like Roko's all... Basilisk, obviously. We did Roko's Basilisk, yeah. And the SCP is essentially like a bunch of short descriptions of things that are being contained by the government. And they're like oh. very weird. A lot of them are like very interesting. Um, and some of them are like anti-memetic stuff where it's like, this is an idea that is very, very dangerous. And if it gets out, it will kill a lot of people. So it, we keep it locked up or something like that. Or like people can't, like people forget about this thing whenever they hear about it. And it's weird. So we keep it locked mm. up because otherwise it just causes chaos or something. That's um, cool. So I, I love those ideas and I love... You know, we've seen we saw a version of this right as well with um, the uh, empty man, right? That 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 is oh, a kind yeah. of uh, info hazard, or and I, yeah, I mean, I think 
I think there's something to this. And I think it's more compelling to us in the modern age, because I think in the world that we're dealing with, with all these like conspiracisms running around and stuff, um, we're sort of very sensitive to this idea of like viral mimetic damage, I guess. Um, so I, th I think maybe that's why we find it initially compelling. I do think obviously there are ideas that are both um, replicate easily and are very harmful. So I, I think that is a legitimate concern. Now, I saw somebody the other day making a little bit of an argument that I didn't fully get on like why it's problematic to medicalize um, epistemology th stuff that like we shouldn't use sort of um, viral metaphors when talking about ideas. Mm. Um, so there is at least some pushback to that idea. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think there is something valuable to that kind of understanding. Now, of course, Roko's Basilisk is a giant like joke version of that. Um, but I think, I think the idea that like racism, for example, is a not joke version of that. It makes sense to me. Yeah. It reminds me of what's that old quote that atheists may remember where it's like the missionary goes out to talk to the somebody and he's like, well, you're telling me that, you know, if I don't know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I like, I, if you, mm. what, what is the thrust of it? It's like, if, yeah. Oh, it's just the example of like, you know, the, this time butchering, I don't remember, but it's like the missionary is like, <laughs> why are you even telling me about this? Because if I had just been ignorant of this whole thing, apparently mm. I would have gotten to heaven, but you have now come and told me about the thing. So now I have to like do something to get into heaven as eh, something like that. I don't know. I see. Right. Better better <laughs> off not to know about certain yeah. things, certain ideas. If, if you have a certain, and I know all these, you know, little religious beliefs tend to be different for different people. Like some people think you got it, the works versus the, you know, just mm -hmm. loving Jesus and then you're fine thing. So I think that makes a difference. Um, but, but for at least some people who believe like, if you're totally ignorant of it, then God can't blame you for that. You know, like God can't mm -hmm. have whatever, like how, how could God condemn you to hell if you were just, born in a different place that you know didn't happen to be white or whatever <laughs> whatever they believe didn't happen to be like white christians that apparently believe this crap um versus you know other people who are like no you have to actually you have no excuse you gotta do you gotta accept jesus as your savior or else you're screwed either way but it's funny mm -hmm. that for some of those people it wouldn't make sense to be a missionary if people didn't know like if people were safely ignorant You'd want to be like, okay, those people are fine. We've got <laughs> those people aren't going mm, to. I'm here right. for hell prevention services. Those people aren't <laughs> going to hell. Leave them alone. You know, right, right, for sure. It's like, um, again, to use a viral example, right? It's like trying to show up and help people, and you're just spreading the virus. Yeah, their, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. Like that, right. You could just right. not go. Just not. <laughs> right. Just like Christianity. Just don't. Just don't spread it. It'd be great. Yeah, I um, think uh, uh, conceptually those things are super cool that you talked. I didn't. I didn't totally understand uh, Rocco's Basilisk, I'll be honest. And maybe that's, who knows? Maybe that's my defense system against it. You know, like I don't, my brain's right. like, nope, you don't understand what that whole thing is. So don't worry about it. But no, the, right. the concept is cool. The idea that there's something that like, if you, if you know it, if you learn the concept, then it's almost, it is almost like a mind virus in some ways where it's like, mm -hmm. you can't now it's now you're screwed. And if you had never found out the information, you'd be fine. I also think it's a concept that's particularly appealing in a philosophy sci-fi context, right? Because mm -hmm. many of the ideas that I incept into people's minds, they are unhappy with me for doing so. So I think uh, I'm sympathetic to the idea yeah. that there are, there are ideas that you shouldn't be sharing. It's going to yeah. turn out if you string together all the names he's butchered throughout the years, it makes a code that's actually 
a, a mind virus right. that will hack summoning us all. a giant demon <laughs> yes that's yeah. pretty much the way that works it's <laughs> oh, a really long times. spell well we're out of time for the main show but we've got some more questions for after dark um make sure to join in patreon.com slash zero g uh we won't thank our patrons again because we just did that for two episodes but uh mm-hmm. thank you anyway but what are we gonna watch uh and or sorry what are we gonna talk about next week dune, Mur- uh, I, dune. dune. I miss dune dude it's out of the imax i missed it already uh, I'm so mad. apparently yeah you know why Space eternals Jesus. Jesus. Oh, eternals God. has to be in the yeah <laughs> I was so mad. I I was like, Brutal. oh, I gotta finally do this. I gotta finally go see it. I was telling oh, Lydia, like, we're gonna shame. go do it. I look up, I was like, I'll just check the show times. I could probably go tomorrow. Nope. Eternals. Mm, they do a whole cool thing with the voice too. I don't know if they'll do it in the other theaters the way they did it in the IMAX. Oh, it was so good. So should I still try to see it in a theater? Yeah, I you guess just, you should still probably okay. try to see it in the theater for I'm sure. I'm just mad though. But like, also watch it. Eternals. Watch it. The watch thing about IMAX time. theaters is they're such massive investments that there's usually just one. Like I think there's just mm, one screen. Yeah. And so they're like, ah, oh, this is our movie for this one forever. Oh, uh, it was so it was so good in IMAX. I was completely. You saw in it in IMAX? It. Oh man. Oh yes, I sure did. <sighs> maybe, <laughs> all right. maybe I'll check some other. Th- maybe it's still around somewhere. I'll try to find okay. it. Get on Either top way. of that so that we can do that yeah. next week. I will. I will definitely watch it in one form or another. Well, uh, come join us after dark. That's we're going to be talking Dune next week, so definitely join us then. Uh, but we, we've got some after dark questions for our fine patrons. Come join us right now. This has been a burst transmission of Philosophers in Space. All music written and performed by Thomas Smith. If you've enjoyed your infotainment upload, please locate the nearest podcast interface device and fill it with five-star ratings and glowing reviews. If you think Ground Control should spring for fun new goodies and content, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash zero G. You can find us on Twitter at zero G philosophy, where Aaron will instantly and compulsively respond. Or you can email us at philosophersinspace at gmail.com. Finally, if you're sad that it takes so long for our signals to reach Earth, you can always find Thomas over at Serious Inquiries Only and Opening Arguments and Aaron over at Embrace the Void. Until next time, live long and philosopher.